our show, Let's Finish Cancer, where we bring you the brightest cancer experts and compassionate cancer navigators. Our goal is to make you stronger at a time you might feel at your weakest and to empower you to make the best decisions for you and your family. You'll hear about the latest in technology and treatment options, stories from patients and survivors, doctors that see you as more than a cancer diagnosis, and a whole person approach to cancer care. We want to be on your journey with you, and we want you to know that at times it can be bumpy, but we're here for you, and we want to help you forward. So joining me today is Dr. John T. Bruling, gastroenterologist at Pacific Medical Centers. And before we get to uh, the particulars, I guess before we get to the fun stuff, I have to go through the particulars. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for informational purposes only. If you have any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or healthcare professional, okay? Always seek the advice of your primary care provider or qualified health provider with any questions you may have. This is for informational purposes only. All right, now that that stuff's out of the way, one more little housekeeping item. There are a ton of you who are watching this on Facebook and LinkedIn and, and um, what's the other one, YouTube. And a lot of times we do these for half an hour, but we're trying to mix it up a little bit. We're gonna, you know, speed things up. It's the TikTokification of everything in our lives now, right? We gotta be able to do everything and communicate it to you super fast. So don't forget, if you have questions for Dr. Bruling about colorectal cancer awareness month, any of the things we're talking about, drop them in the chat wherever you're watching this. We've got people uh, standing by to take your questions and we will answer those as we get through this, but we're gonna move it kind of a little faster than we normally do. Um, and that being said, Dr. Bruling, welcome. Thank you, thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. And for those folks who um, haven't met you, just give us, tell us a little, you know, a quick brief thing about you and what you do with Providence. Sure, um, so I'm a gastroenterologist. Um, I work uh, at Pacific Medical Center under the Providence umbrella and I'm mainly in the downtown Seattle location at First Hill at PacMed, but I also, you know, I have a clinic down in Renton. Um, and I do procedures here in the downtown location as well, as well as going out to Swedish Issaquah. And I have uh, two partners that work with me, Dr. Rex Chang and Dr. Elizabeth Broussard, also PacMed gastroenterologists who go up north for clinic, but we mainly center our procedures in uh, the downtown Seattle location. Excellent, very good. So this, the topic of our little chat here um, mm -hmm. this afternoon is very specifically about colorectal cancer awareness month. And just, I guess let's level set. Let's start at the beginning, right? We say, we toss around this word colorectal cancer awareness and people immediately tie that to colonoscopies. But I don't, some people just don't even know what we're mean when we say colorectal cancer. So what is that? Um, yeah, when we talk about colon cancer, we're specifically talking about a type of colon cancer that's by far the most common. It's called adenocarcinoma of the colon, and that makes up the vast majority of colon cancers. And that's what we're you know, talking about, uh, not only screening for, but trying to prevent. Um, and I think we'll get into that a little bit, how we do that. Sure. Now, I mean, screening, right? We, whenever we talk about cancer and we hear yeah. the word cancer, we, we think about screening, not only as, as healthcare providers, but also, as, you know, lay folks. There have been some pretty good public health campaigns out there about getting screening, but I know that the ages have changed recently for like that first colonoscopy. Yeah. So let's talk just a little bit about colonoscopies as a screening yeah. tool. And then what age do you recommend those? Yeah, so you're right. The about a year ago, uh, the GI societies changed the age. You know, it used to be 50 is when we would recommend, and this is for the general population, 
we call average risk, um, but they lowered that last year to 45. Um, and a lot of that is because uh, colon cancer rates, you know, for since the 1980s had been going down fairly dramatically until early 2010s, um, colon cancer rates started going back up again slowly. Um, we, I don't know if we know exactly why that is, but that's despite, you know, doing screening and, and, and all that kind of stuff, things are going back up and, and, and younger people as well. So that's why, you know, the age uh, was lowered to 45. So for most people in the community at what we call average risk, uh, we're supposed to start at 45. And that's, that's for men or women or however anyone identifies, right? So just everyone at 45 at, at average risk. That's right. So men, women, any, um, you know, race, um, it's 45. Now that there are some populations that are higher risk. So those people with, you know, first degree family member with colon cancer, um, uh, it's usually earlier than that, usually 40 or 10 years before they were diagnosed. And then also if you have inflammatory bowel disease or some other kind of genetic disorder that uh, makes you higher risk, those are kind of the groups that are a little bit different, but otherwise it's 45 for everyone. Gotcha. So there might be some folks watching. So when you say first degree family member, is that like my mom and dad? Is that uncles? Is that grandma and grandpa? Is that cousins? Like who counts yeah. as first degree? Because I think this is really critically important for a lot of people to understand. Yeah, I think it's uh, confusing for a lot of people because we get these kind of questions all the time. Um, so first degree is relating to, you know, either your parents, your siblings or your own children. Um, everyone else outside of that is what we would call a second degree family member. And in the guidelines don't really pertain to that. They don't count second degree family members as being high risk. So yeah, so to have to be, again, parents, siblings, or a child um, to count as a first degree family member. Very good. And if you, all right, just to clarify for everybody watching. So if you're, if your parents or siblings or your own children, I guess, have had colon cancer or a scare even or high risk something like that themselves we're wanting you to get this colonoscopy specifically earlier at age 40. now what if for instance this is where i'm going to insert myself a little bit what yeah. if i'm you know i just happen to know someone you know who's maybe 44 years old but might have i don't know a history of hemorrhoids or something like that, like something that's not necessarily, you know, precancerous by at least according to the research, but you're like, ah, maybe I'm worried. And I had a grandparent who had colorectal cancer. What would you say to that? Well, um, so when I talk about, you know, doing a colon cancer screen on and the ages we're talking about, I'm mainly talking about, you know, is for preventative care and screening purposes. But there are a lot of times where we would also do what's called a diagnostic colonoscopy. So even if someone's, you know, younger than that um, and they have symptoms, you know, whether it's bleeding from down below or weight loss that's unexplained or anemia or uh, diarrhea or something like that, that um, might lead us to do a colonoscopy for other reasons. Um, so that's a little bit different. So in, in your case, yeah, if someone was 44 and they were having rectal bleeding, you know, I, I think at the, the first step is just to talk to your you know, primary care doctor first, maybe get referred to a gastroenterologist to talk about whether a colonoscopy is appropriate. Awesome. Now you mentioned 
some symptoms. We're going to come back to those in a minute because this is the okay. thing that everyone, right? I'm sure you get these questions a hundred thousand yeah. times. I know I do. Oh my gosh, my poop is green or whatever. Like I have cancer. I'm going to die. Like what do I do? Right? We get those questions all the time. But before we go on to that, because we're talking about screening, I think this is really mm -hmm. important. I just saw one of these commercials last night. Order this test and get take it at home. And if you're of average risk, it's ninety some per odd percent predictive for whether your risk of colon cancer, I don't know, whatever. Break those yeah. TV commercials down for us since we have your expertise. So <clears throat> I think what you're referring to is just kind of breaking down what the screening tests we have available are. Um, so in general, our, we kind of push two tests for screening because there's a little bit more evidence behind them. One is the colonoscopy, which we'll probably get into a little bit more. But the other is a stool test called a FIT test, where they're test, we're testing for microscopic amounts of blood in your stool. Um, that is, um, those are the two that are preferred. Uh, the, the FIT test is obviously a little bit easier for patients to go through because it's just a stool test they turn in. Um, it's a little bit cheaper. But uh, the disadvantages of it are it's every year, um, and it's mainly to detect early cancer rather than prevent it, although it can detect some precancerous uh, lesions. So uh, that's the pros and cons of the FIT testing, whereas the colonoscopy, obviously a lot more to go through because um, you have to drink a, a preparation to clean your bowel out, you have to be put to sleep, um, but it is less frequent. And it's uh, there is some evidence to show that it's more preventative for colon cancer. So not just screening, but possibly preventative. What you might be referring to is there's are, there are other tests. There's the other uh, um, test called a Cologuard is commonly referred to. Um, which is a stool test every three years that does both blood and some DNA markers in the stool. It's uh, the problem with it. Um, some insurance companies don't cover it. It's partly because it's a little bit more expensive. Um, it's not quite as specific as the fit test. So it does lead to a little bit to more colonoscopies because again, important to differentiate, you know, the colonoscopy is a one step uh, screening tool. You not only do the procedure, but you take care of things while you're in there. So it's therapeutic as well. Whereas any other test we refer to, whether it's the FIT test or the Cologar, those stool tests, if they're positive, you get a colonoscopy. Mm, all right, very good. So we, you know, colonoscopies has come up a lot, obviously. <laughs> a lot of people have some fears about colonoscopies. Yeah. And they hear, you know, you're always at the dinner table, usually before a meal, right? But you're out to dinner with friends and you're talking to someone who's like, oh, I had my colonoscopy last week and it was horrible. I don't think people think the colonoscopy is horrible because frankly, most people don't remember it. I yeah. think it's the leading up to the colonoscopy yeah. that is maybe the tough part for someone. But here's your chance, Dr. Bruling. You have an audience of millions and millions watching you right now, right? Clear the air on colonoscopies, why they're not that bad, why we need to do them, and, and just real quick, what that process is like for folks who are getting them. Sure. Uh, obviously, I'm pretty biased, but... Um... I don't think they're that bad. I, I do say, I agree with you, and I'm honest with patients. <clears throat> the worst part is the the stuff you got to drink, what we call the bowel preparation to clean your colon out. Um, it's not it's not really gotten much better over the last uh, <laughs> however many years, um, and you still got to drink a lot of fluid and laxative to kind of clean you out. We do split it up now where you drink half, usually the night before, half the morning of the procedure, which is a little bit easier for patients. But, you know, we're cleaning all the stool out of your colon, so you're going to be on the toilet a lot. There's no getting around that. Um, 
but I, I think you know most of the time when you're honest with people like that, most people do okay with it. I and you're and uh, honestly, the procedure, which I think people do have some misgivings about the procedure, you know, being put to sleep, you know, the risk of the procedure, but it is a low risk procedure. Um, you know, most people, you know, I know here at Pacific Medical Center, we have an anesthesia team that uses propofol now. People are very comfortable. They wake up. They're not that groggy afterwards. Um, we even change the type of air we use. We use carbon dioxide now instead of regular air in the colonoscopy so people don't feel as bloated afterwards. So I, I think the comfort level for people is much better than it used to be um, for the procedure. Um, and like I said, it's low risk, you know, unless we're taking out a really big precancerous polyp, but then that's more reason that we do the procedure. It's good that we did it. Um, but yeah, the bowel preparation is by far and away for most people, the worst part. Yeah. Great. Now what can people expect after the colonoscopy? So I drink the stuff, I have the colonoscopy, it goes fine. I'm super surprised. All right, it's great. And then now it's time for me to start eating and drinking again. What can people expect, not only how they feel in the first day or two afterwards, but then what type of follow-up should they be doing? Yeah, so usually we will, um, you know, talk to them afterwards, especially if you found anything significant. We'll, you know, if we remove some polyps, we'll tell them about that, or if we found anything else. And usually that takes a few days for the results to come back, but we send that tissue off to our pathologist. They let, them, let us know, are those polyps precancerous? And then we tell them at that point, you know, whether it's usually several days later, when to come back for their next colonoscopy. And then in regards to, you know, how they're going to feel, again, usually people are wake up fairly quickly from the sedation we use nowadays, or at least here at PacMed, um, with the propofol, but they might be a little bit groggy, I should say, for a, an hour or two. Um, and we tell them just take that day off, don't do any driving, don't do anything, uh, you know, high risk. Um, but by the next day, they're feeling back to normal. And, and people usually, you know, eat soon after. We even often give them uh, something to drink and a snack after the procedure. So people are, you know, kind of, that's one thing people always mention to me is they're kind of eager to eat something because they've been in some ways fasting for about 24 hours because you're on a liquid diet the day before the procedure as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Um, all right. So we've gotten to, all right, let's say I'm 45 average risk. I'm going to get this colonoscopy. Dr. Breuling told me it's not too bad. Drinking this stuff isn't horrible. The procedure is not bad. We use propofol, all of those things. It's very, it's awesome. But how do I, and let's say, great, I have an awesome colonoscopy. You didn't find anything. There's nothing there, nothing cancerous, nothing precancerous, no polyps, no nothing. How do I continue to prevent it? Like is colon cancer fully preventable? What are the things I need to be doing to make sure like I don't want to get this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so one is continue to get your screening, whether that's the stool testing or the colonoscopy. And, you know, if, obviously if we don't find anything, it's every 10 years, so it's not that bad. Um, in the interim, you know, there are a number of things people can do in their lives. You know, smoking, tobacco, obviously increases risk of almost any cancer, but colon cancer as well. Um, you know, uh, obesity can increase the risk. Um, there, there are certain, you know, dietary things that might increase risk, you know, red meats, processed meats. Um, some of that evidence is not quite clear, but in general, it's, it's definitely kind of lowering those things might help the risk. Um, and that's, uh, and that's pretty much it. And then of course, you know, like I said, with the obesity is just regular exercise and trying to lose weight. 
Excellent. Very good. We have a couple of questions here. We've just got about five minutes left and I wanted okay. to get to some of these questions from the audience, which are awesome. These are perfect. Okay. This is kind of going back to um, where I was at before. My dad had colon cancer at age 50. This is from the audience. Mm -hmm. I've had colonoscopy since age 30. Are my children at the same risk as I am? Yeah. Um, no. Um, as long as so, for instance, in this case, uh, the listener who put the question in, so as long as they're getting the regular colonoscopies and nothing, you know, significant is being found, um, that, that means their children technically are kind of back to average risk. At least that's how we treat it with our guidelines. Um, you know, all, none of these stuff is perfect, but that's how, that's how we treat the, the risk. Absolutely. And another sort of risk question, Dr. Bruling, mm -hmm. uh, we have a, a, a patient or, or someone watching in the audience here who has no family history due to being adopted. Um, mm -hmm. So are there different recommendations for that person or should we just go with the standard guidelines? Yeah, another good question. We, we go with the uh, standard guidelines because, you know, we have to assume, um, and this goes for people not only adopted, but people that don't know their you know, are estranged from their parents or don't know, you know, what happened. We have to assume their average risk because the vast majority of people um, in the U.S. are average risk. Um, and, you know, again, we'd be screening people a lot sooner and it's a lot of resources for probably little benefit in, in most of these people because the vast majority of people would be average risk. Yeah. Average risk, sure. Yeah. So, all right. So we're, we've kind of we're kind of walking through the the, the entire process here. So let's say, yeah. all right, I've gotten my colonoscopy. Dr. Bruling did great. I drank all my stuff. Afterwards, I'm feeling fine. But on the follow up, you think you found something? Maybe it's even cancerous. Unfortunately, yeah. what are the next steps that we're taking if that's something that you find in a colonoscopy? Yeah. Um, it, so. In general, you know, if we find colon cancer, you know, this is one of the benefits, by the way, of doing this testing is because usually when we find it, it's early, hopefully, um, before people have symptoms and before it's spread. So the first step is to see how, you know, is to really what we call stage the cancer. So how advanced is it? Is it, you know, confined to that area in the colon? Has it spread elsewhere in the body? Usually that's with uh, imaging, so like a CT scan or PET scan. Um, and then um, once we get that, we have you meet, you know, an oncologist or so a cancer doctor as well as a surgeon to talk about, you know, what are the next steps. And it depends on how advanced it is, um, whether, you know, it, it, do you get surgery alone versus having some chemotherapy? Usually those are the two mainstays of therapy, depending on the uh, stage of the cancer. Um, and, you know, surgery really is the only way to cure colon cancer along plus or minus with chemotherapy. Mm, very good. Okay. So essentially sort of standard next steps from a diagnosis of, of most cancers, at least early on, yeah. With yeah. Those, which is, which is great to know. Um, we have just a couple of minutes left. So folks, if you're wa watching and you have some, here's your chance. Like we're get you get a free consultation with a gastroenterologist, one of the best, he's doing a great job. So if you have other questions, drop them in there. We'll get, we'll get to them. Um, risk factors. So are there any sort of groups of folks other than people who have a first degree, so parents, siblings, or their children have had colorectal cancer? Are there any other groups that may be a little bit of higher risk, at least backed by the literature, if you will, 
um, that might play a role in, in them getting earlier screening than others. Sure. So uh, the screening is the same um, for all you know, races, genders. Um, but um, that being said, African-Americans, at least in the U.S., African-Americans definitely are the minority that seem to have the highest rates of colon cancer. Um, now, it used to be before these new guidelines were published, African-Americans were actually recommended to get a colonoscopy at 45 already. Uh, it's just that the updated guidelines kind of moved it down to 45 for everyone. So they were already kind of deemed a higher risk group. Um, part of that is because of the higher rates, but also some of that is just... Um, you know, access to healthcare and, and getting getting caught late. Um, but that's kind of the, the group that we need to do a better job with here, at least in our country. Um, you know, getting them, uh, you know, numerous things are probably leading to that, but including access to healthcare and stuff like that. Excellent, very good. We have had lots of conversations here on these lives about, um, you know, social, economic, and racial disparities in our healthcare system. So this yeah. is another one of those places where it pops up in, for sure. in colorectal cancer, for sure. All right, Dr. Bruling, this is it. You have, you have the floor for 30 <laughs> seconds. This is your chance, the whole world's watching. <laughs> if there's anything that we forgot or we didn't get to, or you wanna say to everyone watching about your specialty, the world that you live in, and of course, keeping everybody safe from colon cancer, now's your chance, ready, go. Uh, I think I would summarize by saying there are not many um, cancers or serious diseases that are possibly preventable. And colon cancer is one of them, and while you know, the colonoscopy, the stool testing I've talked about is not perfect. It definitely greatly reduces the chance that you will not only get colon cancer, but if you get it, you will not die from it. So I can't stress it enough that when it's your time to get this screening done, um, reach out to your doctor to talk about what the options are. Um, you can see someone like me as well just to talk about it uh, and, and just just be proactive and if and and on top of that if you have symptoms and you're younger talk to your doctor you know you don't have to wait if you're you know having any symptoms that we talked about that are concerning excellent everyone i'm letting you in on a little secret this was, this was dr bruling's first time with us and he <laughs> did great you did awesome dr bruling this was this was really great and i really do appreciate it colorectal cancer awareness month a lot of folks have a lot of questions especially because the guidelines yeah. changed we really appreciate your time thank you so much for joining us today this was awesome and Thanks, for everyone who uh, gave us some questions we really appreciate those um remember if you're looking for medical advice and where to go to get treatment obviously we want you to visit providence.org and be sure to follow Providence on social media at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Of course, one last reminder, the information provided during this event was for educational purposes only. Got it? If you have any questions regarding medical conditions or treatment plans, please consult your physician or primary care provider. We really appreciate you all watching this afternoon. Be on the lookout for our other lives and other really awesome topics coming your way very soon. Have a great afternoon.